Hello and welcome to the Tao of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I'm Doug Belshaw. And I'm Laura Hilliger. This podcast season is currently partially unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com slash weareopen. So today's guests are Tim Riches, founding director of Navigator, and Ahmed Mafid, CTO at Navigator. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves a little bit and tell us a little bit about their history before we ask them about their favorite books. So Tim, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, it's good to see you, Doug, and thanks for having us on your podcast. It's very exciting. Um, I was just thinking, actually, you know, it's, it's been nice recently connecting with uh, people who are involved in Open Badges right from the beginning, um, you know, connecting with you, Doug. Obviously, it's a long time since, uh, and we've come a long way since we were sort of doing jazz hands on a stage, weren't we, and, and pointing at PowerPoints and trying to exp- <laughs> explain the concept to people uh, to now when things have uh, really moved along and, and connecting with Katrina and and Nate and Cheryl Grant and others. And it feels like we're on a kind of next wave of that um, that journey now with Open Badges. But um, it's great to see you again and looking forward to chatting to you. Thanks, Tim. Ahmed? Um, yeah. Uh, similarly excited to, um, um, to be involved at this stage. And uh, I'm, I started my career as a software developer. I've been, um, Tim and I, um, um, we've, been involved in uh, building multiple award-winning platforms over the years. Um, we, we were part of the uh, Open Badge uh, uh, movement when it started uh, within Mozilla. And um, my passion is about uh, helping people, building, uh, using technology to help people unlock their full potential. And Open Badges um, is, um, and digital credentials is fully uh, satisfying that passion. Wonderful. Um, so the first question that we always ask guests, because we feel like we get to learn a lot about people when they tell us, what is their favorite book? So maybe we'll start with you, Omid. What is your favorite book? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I was, I was thinking about this, and I, I wish um, uh, I could come up with a book re- more re- relevant to the topic. But the thing that um, uh, first came to my mind, and I'm excited to go with that, was a book called um, Roots. When uh, which I wrote when I wrote when I was, um, read when I was about uh, 13, 14 years old. It's about the story of Kunta Kente being um, kidnapped uh, in in Africa by by slave slave men and being uh, traded into Europe. And then it, the story takes the, um, this um, uh, his life and, and then goes through uh, five generations after that, leading all the way to the abolition of slavery and. Mm-hmm starting a new life and the thing that it uh, it, um, it stayed with me from that story is uh, the, the resilience and uh, um, um, and the, the strength to keep going um, yeah so is that the one that was turned into a TV series which I also haven't seen yeah that is the one I, I watched the TV series a few years ago when it came out and uh, it was a uh, it, it was a good experience uh, um, Connecting it up with how I um, how I received it as a child, and then how I received it as an as an adult, yeah, um, it it is that one. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I must put that on my reading list, and I'll go on our literal dot club reading list for for the podcast. Should we move on to 
Tim? Yeah, sure. I've picked uh, a business book. I've picked uh, Funky Business, uh, which is written in 2000, year 2000. Um, it's written by a couple of Swedish guys. It's really hard to pronounce their names. I'm not sure if I'm going to get it right. It's Shell Nordstrom and Jonas Riddestral. Um, and um, it, it was a book that kind of challenged uh, the current business models. It was around the time when the internet was kind of really getting going. Um, and it said that rather, you know, in the past, businesses have been really successful by picking an area and just being the best in that area. And in the future, things are going to move a lot faster um, and you were going to succeed by being different from other people. Um, and that you were going to have to gather a kind of tribe, a, a motivated group of people together in order to kind of uh, meet a new challenge. The the actual title for the book is Funky Business, Talent Makes Capital Dance. And the other factor that it thought was going to be important was being fast. So hearing an idea, getting excited about it, but then getting it to market really quickly. And I read it in 2002. And it was in a transition time. It was a, an exciting time, but it was also moving into quite a difficult time for me. Um, I'd launched uh, a business towards the end of the 90s in webcasting. Uh, and at that time, webcasting, you had to sort of install a plugin into your computer, the real player, and then hope that after a while over dial-up, it would kind of eventually start streaming through. But we started uh, broadcasting from clubs in the UK and from gigs. And we had some really nice stories about people who were able to listen and couldn't come to the clubs and um, uh, for distance or disability. Uh, and then we started being flown around the world by corporates who wanted us to to broadcast these, uh, these events. So it was exciting. And then uh, the SARS virus broke in 2002 and just put a complete end to the business. And it's sort of a death nail for the business. So it was quite a sort of hard time to motivate yourself as a going through that. And it was a book that just really inspired me um, to, to get going. And kind of startups didn't sort of happen in Leeds. They happened in, in Yorkshire. They happened in California. Um, and I just it just really got me excited about the, the potential. And learned, I suppose I learned that, you know, um, it learned about sort of dealing with failure and that experimenting is risky. Um, but it's all sort of part of the journey, and um, so anyway, that's my that's my, that's my book. Uh, interesting. I knew about radio waves and digital me, and obviously navigate, but I didn't know about that previous kind of um, one as well. Fantastic, excellent. Both interesting books, and both will be on our um, in our book club, and I've added them to my want to read uh, list as well. Awesome. Um, all right, shall we dive straight in? Um, maybe the, you know, it's always interesting when two people come on our podcast, just in terms of how you two met and got into business together. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, this is about sort of building a talented team, really, I suppose, and um, and having an in-house team. You know, when we started uh Early on, we did some of our development sort of outsourcing it. And uh, one of the companies we used was in Turkey. Um, and um, for one reason or another, I think the business failed or, or moved on in Turkey. Um, and we built a relationship with Ahmed, um, fantastic person to work with. Um, we'd become friends as well. Um, and we had to find a way really to get Ahmed to work with us in the UK. And it took... Uh, 
particularly my brother who I worked with in Omid, I think, was it six years, Omid, to, to actually, do, I mean, it's so difficult, you wouldn't believe that process. Um, so that's how we met, and then we've been working on and off together. Um, well, Omid, you pick it up from there. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so this is about uh, 2008, when we started back then, we were, uh, uh, Mark and Tim, they were building a platform called um, uh, new Moo, new music. Uh, there was uh, radio waves uh, later on added to that set of platforms, and um, uh, I was in. Um, I had just finished my bachelor degree in Turkey in uh, software engineering, and um, um, we started working. I was working from my bedroom in, in Turkey, and this was before remote working was um, um, so common. And yeah, um, the. And move to move to Leeds to uh, do the, uh, do my masters here and then continue working here. We started doing very uh, right from the beginning. We started doing very innovative things. For example, in radio waves, uh, you could SMS um, a text message to a phone number, and it would uh, automatically create a blog post on radio waves uh, platform for you. So this was um, this was before uh, social media, before Facebook was was a thing. Uh, we had a uh, we had a, per, a a blogger who uh, who traveled around the world. I think he cycled or he traveled around the world, and uh, he would um, he would SMS his uh, geocode geolocation to our servers, and we would post his uh, location. We would pin his location on the map where he where he traveled. This was in two thousand nine. Back then, technology was very different. Smartphones were not so widely available, and. Um, yeah, so that uh, that uh, that um, uh, appro- that approach with innovation um, um, the, uh, was the exciting part, and we have um, we have stayed on. We have built, uh, I think, at least eight platforms, and closed um, uh, many of those. And this is the navigators' our uh, latest adventure together. I, I counted six platforms. So I don't I, I don't know what the other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. The other two are hidden in the in the history books, huh? They... Yeah. <laughs> I think Tim's the first forgot time about them. I came across um, you, Tim, was when you were doing the S two R medals. Stuff. Oh yeah, the sports to reporter stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I I think my I think my son had been born, but not my daughter at that point, mm. and. Just the, the, you know, you talked about innovation there and technology and what's possible and stuff. And just imagining, like, my kids being able to grow up and be passionate about a particular thing, like commenting on a sports game and reporting back and whatever, and getting something to kind of be able to package that up in an interesting way so they could follow what they were really interested in as opposed to just whatever was on offer. And I guess that thread's gone all the way through stuff you've done, except your most recent platform is a lot more focused on on employability, isn't it? Like on, on yeah. like like linking badges to work specifically. And I just wondered what you've learned kind of along the way. Yeah, I mean that that support to, to reports program is an interesting one. That's the one that really connected us through to the open badges world and maybe just sort of taking um, a few steps back. So, yeah, we started working on... Um, uh, we were working on a number of different education projects um, back in the early 2000s. And um, 
one of the things that we got really frustrated with, we were doing every all kinds of projects from media to technical skills, uh, supporter to reporter was about developing media and communication skills. Um, but when you're working on this project, you sort of, you start to see all these incredible skills that are coming together, uh, but they're just overlooked and they're not being recognised. And uh, we thought, well, we could start looking at how we map some of those skills to the formal curriculum. So quite naively, we sort of thought, well, well if we speak to the awarding organisations um, and we speak to the English curriculum people, they would want to do that mapping and it would add an additionality to the qualification and what you soon realise is that teachers are under incredible pressure already. They can't add something new into the school, um, the curriculum and the time. Um, and then I think what the straw that really broke the camel's back was when we started to work on something called the Creative and Media Diploma. And it was um, a qualification that was developed in partnership with educators and industry uh, and there's this huge consultation that went on. It was, it was brilliant. It was a project-based qualification around learning media skills. And there's a change in government, and they just stopped the whole programme. So all of these people had worked together to build up this qualification, and it just stopped. And that's when we started thinking about um, alternative ways of recognition. Um, and we started looking at badging, uh, but digital badging, not open badging, I think badge fill we were looking at at the time which is quite an early technology um and we started talking about this a little bit and a couple of the local authorities had seen it and someone called me one day and said um actually you want to look at open badges because uh, it's an open standard uh, it's something where mozilla are going to bring together lots of different organizations from across the world from learning platforms uh, universities informal learning and it seemed just really a kind of gift in terms of a technology it'd be good to adopt because it would be interoperable as well between different platforms and uh, something maybe everyone could adopt and it could start to meet that problem of recognizing learning in any any setting which kind of that's the journey we've been that's that's the thing that's kind of kept motivating us over time is to get to that point where we could recognize learning in any setting and then connect it through to uh, opportunities real opportunities for work so, Omen, I would love to hear your perspective on that sort of pathway from a from a tech to technical perspective um, with all these different platforms and particularly with the Open Badges standard and the fact that the idea is that you can take, you know, take your qualifications with you anywhere. What, you know, what kind of learning journey have you been on from your, your perspective? Um. As a, as a technologist, it's, it's very easy to get um, overexcited about the technology and uh, just uh, go on a completely different journey. Uh, and the, I think the lesson I've, I've learned is two, two things. One is it's not about the technology. It's about the problems that you're solving. And the technology is a tool and it's relevant as long as it solves a real problem. And the second lesson is um, um, is uh, the the importance of uh, your team and the people. And the, the, the so um, technology changes all the time. New technologies, new ways of solving the same problem comes around. Uh, it's not wise to always jump on the uh, most uh, latest thing. It is uh, it's important how how much it fits with the with the people as well as your strategy, your business strategy. And uh, the same thing applies with uh, with open badges as well. As Tim mentioned, 
before open badges, before Mozilla, before we were involved with the Mozilla open badges movement, we were playing with that idea. We had the radio waves platform, which primary school students and um, uh, young people were using it. And uh, uh, they were creating great content, uh, the S2R program that you mentioned, Doug. They were creating great, uh, great content and uh, and uh, making uh, making change and, and changing uh, this, their lives, uh, the students' lives. Uh, but and, and we were looking for a way to acknowledge this. We had a movement called Champion Schools and Champion Students. So every week, every month, every week, we had we would choose five students and five schools as champions. But we were looking for a way to uh, to acknowledge that achievement, and we experimented uh, with. Um, uh, with a few different badging platforms that were labels, and then we, we came across the Open Badges platform and the Open Badges standard, and um, we fell in love with the, with how flexible it was, how uh, portable it was, uh, and the first badges we implemented were about students tidying up their room, taking a picture of that and uploading it, and this nine-year-old, eight-year-old would receive a badge, the um, uh, tidiest room badge. And these badges were uh, 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 were uh, published. It's funny you mention that as an example because my daughter's in Scouts, and she's doing her personal challenge badge at the moment. And because she couldn't think of anything else to do, the default one they give you is to keep your room tidy for a period of so many weeks, and then you get your personal challenge badge at the end. So that's just like a perfect example of a badge, like a digital badge, a digital version of a badge that kind of happened in Scouts anyway. And it's interesting to me how the metaphors have shifted over time that we use to describe badges and stuff as well. But I interrupted you, sorry. Well, exactly. That, and that's, that's the next point I was going to make. So uh, um, what, what a, it, 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 you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What, what applies, what have been applicable to scout badges for so many years, you can bring the same concept of, and apply it to to different problems. And that's why, for example, we had the RadioWaze platform, which was uh, for students, for primary school and secondary school uh, uh, students. But then we, we, we soon realized that badges has the potential to do much more to help people and to get into jobs for high stakes qualifications. And that's why we built Open Badge Academy back then, which was more for adults to, uh, to get into jobs. And, um, and, uh, and some of the great examples from there was, for example, World Chefs, uh, example where they um, uh, they, they were uh, internationally uh, recognized badges that uh, chefs could just um, uh, go as, uh, go through a series of tasks uh, record themselves in their own kitchen in Sao Paulo or in in Lebanon and upload their evidence and receive a badge for it and be proud of it and share it around and actually get into jobs or um, uh, or be promoted in their jobs because of this badge they received and and that is the that is the satisfaction that you get from seeing that what you've built um, uh, is uh, is changing lives. So before we get into kind of what Navigator does, which is different to previous platforms that you've you've built and the kind of integrations that you've got, um, I'm really interested in a um, a bit of technology that you released kind of recently, I think in May um, of this year, where you allowed people. Um, to create badges using kind of an AI assistant. And I, it's interesting to me, like I can understand from my point of view doing badges for 10 plus years as to why that's happened. Like sometimes when you give people a, a blank slate, they all the, their good ideas disappear and they don't know what to write. 
but I'm just interested from a kind of a technical point of view how difficult that was to to um, implement, and also kind of where the where the where the desire to do that came from. Was it like this is possible, and we've seen this problem in the past with our other platforms? Were your current clients asking for it? Like, how did that kind of come into being? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I joined an AI event uh, the other day, and, uh, and it's to the world. It seems like AI was invented in October 2022, <laughs> but that's not the case. AI was there um, in 70s, 60s, and even before before that, in in different shapes and forms. And um, so when we started Navigator, even in the platforms before Navigator, we uh, we had that innovation hat on and we were always looking for the potential of technology solving real life problems. And some of those real life problems are in, in the case of open badges are um, it's, it's good to have those badges and it's good to, um, uh, to put on them on your profile. But what does it actually do for you in your life? And does it does it help you? Does it open doors? For you, and that is the part that we are more interested in uh, as as navigator. And uh, so that's why when we started navigator, we, we put the, that learning from the previous platforms uh, on a port. I have a screenshot of the first uh, wish list port that we had. It was full of post-it notes, and then we started saying, so which are the ones that you, if you, if you could only pick three. Pick three out of the sixty pin uh, post-it notes on the board, and it was a difficult choice. But yeah, so uh, uh, and we had AI in mind right from the beginning when we when we built the platform. We wanted to build something that is open, something that is built on the data, something that is built on integration in mind. So that's why uh, what we um, uh, we started with cloud first approach. We started with API first approach. Um, uh, and we started with um, uh, with picking uh, picking on the integ- integ- picking big data uh, integrating it with big data sources to to feed in data where we don't have the data ourselves, and that's why when it came when um, uh, we came to the end of 2022 and when AI became a thing, it it was about time that we had done all of our development, we had implemented all of our platform, the framework was there, so the timing was great, and then um, AI came, and with, with the moving of AI, it is, it is a little bit of a, a, a um, double-sided blade, and um, uh, uh, in, in Navigator, we recently looked at our AI vision and our ethical ethics around AI. So the, the implementation of AI, one of, um, we were looking at um, where AI can solve problems for Navigator and users of Navigator. And one of the pain points, one of the bottlenecks we have is in, in uh, creating content, creating those badges. And as you say, Doug, um, uh, uh, schools, provi- um, uh, employers, uh, uh, city councils that we always speak to, they, they have, they have the, an idea of what they want to badge. But starting on that blank slate is difficult. So uh, um, uh, we implemented it in, uh, uh, by using AI, it can give you a starting point that you can quickly change and uh, build more on top of. And on the technology side, um, the AI component, implementing the AI component in itself wasn't a, a huge piece of development. And that was thanks to all of the foundation that we built right from the beginning with AI in mind. And, and that's one of, um, that is one of the lessons that we learned from the previous platform. So if you have that vision in mind, you can start 
your technology, your team, your culture, all around that. And when the time comes, when the time is right, when the technology is available, then uh, it, it is easy to adapt and, um, uh, and try something, maybe fail, but fail early and then readapt and and go back to the market. So, so people who listen to this podcast probably know by this point what open badges are. And if, if they don't, I need to go back and listen to previous episodes. Um, but if you think about how badges has developed over time, people might be thinking, okay, well, I know how a, a badges system works. Uh, you go in there, you, you fill in the name of the badge and the description, the criteria and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then you add an image and then off, off you go. And just for those who maybe haven't seen Navigator yet, what specifically is, I think it's like the tagging and the initial kind of description, like what what is AI bringing to the table when people press that that button? Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, so um, uh, we, uh, it's, it's worth mentioning another innovation that we rolled out earlier in the 2023 which is the, the direct link between a badge and the labor market. So a badge is a digital, rep- digital um, um, representation of a set of skills in a, 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 in a, in a sentence. And, but um, by, by um, what you put into that metadata defines the value of that badge and how many doors that badge can open for you. And in Navigator, we have an emphasis on making sure that those badges, uh, um, first of all, it helps you get a job. It helps you qualify towards um, towards a course, or it helps you uh, improve your well-being or improve your skills. So that, um, and, uh, and that's why we work with Lightcast to, uh, when you create a badge, when uh, we, we identify what uh, labor market skills that badge represents, and we have built an integration with Lightcast where you put a description of your badge and it automatically identifies the type of skills that that um, description um, uh, uh, includes. And that link is all automatically there. And then when you go into defining the criteria that um, a user has to achieve to uh, to receive that badge, then all of that criteria also feeds into, into the type of skills that um, uh, that the badge represents. So, um, uh, and when you when you actually take it, a badge has so much information that uh, it, it is a it is a lengthy process creating a badge and thinking about all of the skills, all of the criteria, uh, and all of the additional attributes that go with that. It is a lengthy process when you start with it. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, you know, like. Since the start of this year, I think people have thought, oh, I can just eliminate lots of people's job functions and stuff and just use ChatGPT and whatever. And I don't know if you've tried, you probably have, tried to ask ChatGPT to create the metadata for badges. And like sometimes you get lucky and it'll just create something sensible. But most of the time, even on the paid for version, it creates the most random stuff. And so having it built into a tool which has the context already built in and presumably is trained on not just a very wide-ranging model but specific like labor market market data, like you say, just seems so much more useful than, you know, a scattergun general-purpose approach. We were having um, – had a really interesting conversation with a teacher this week and um, we were showing her the, the AI budget assistant 
Um, and she said, I've got to keep my voice down because I can't, I just, I'm not allowed to talk about AI in the office. Because on the one hand, the school is just absolutely terrified by all the effects it's having on, um, you know, people using it for homework and stuff. But as soon as she saw the assistant and she was able to try just creating a three badges with it, she, she was just so excited because just it just made her job incredibly easy. It gave her a great starting point and, um, and it is and it is a barrier to entry i think it's probably a barrier to entry that we didn't we didn't quite realize how much um how much it was i mean it used to be very paper based didn't it and that really relied on people's expertise subject expertise another conversation we had this week was with someone running um, a tech program and again they were using the assistant um and the skills tags that it brought back actually made them realize that they'd missed out one of the skills in the module so it's actually sort of helping in terms of curriculum design um, at the same time. So, um, I mean, we're still learning at the moment and, and still experimenting with the tools and it's still an experimental feature. Uh, but you can see that it's another, it's a sort of next stage in putting this technology in people's hands and kind of democratising the technology, uh, which is which is really exciting. And um, I suppose the other thing is the, I mean, it's such interesting conditions, I think, for open badges at the moment because... Um, Firstly, there's the, the adoption is starting to take up again. Um, and it's so much easier to have a conversation with somebody if they can go away and Google digital badges or open badges. And there's actually something on the internet and lots of good case studies, which aren't you as well. Uh, so that's really helpful. And then there's the technology side um, around AI, but also big data as well. So we use the Lightcast Skills Taxonomy, which is a, a big data technology uh, which creates a skills standard which is based on actual job results. Uh, and it's a dynamic standard, which is changing over time and it's open open to access as well. Um, but just that actually, rather than relying on an individual to create those skills tags in, in the way that they think it will link to a job, it does actually provide that, that way of connecting to those opportunities. And the other thing which I think is quite interesting at the moment is that um, there's just lots of skills shortages in the economy for various different reasons. Um, you've got an aging population and Brexit, which hasn't helped. Um, so actually, it's quite interesting, though, because employers um, and local authorities and others are quite open at the moment to trying new things because there's, an, there's a real problem in front of them um, across all sectors, actually. Um, you know, and technology is moving on, so the curriculum's having to adapt. So um, there's just some really interesting con conditions for innovation and, and a kind of next wave of adoption all being well. See, I was um, earlier when Omid was talking about there's no point in reinventing the wheel and talking about technology as a, a as a technologist, as an engineer, you don't often start from scratch. You find things that other engineers have done and you remix them, you pull them together in new ways. And I think with the, you know, with the latest AI hype cycle, what seems to be missing from the conversation is that it is just a starting point, these tools. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really interesting how like the, the, idea that if we can help people understand that the starting point is really just so you don't have to start from scratch, but you still have to interact with the output. Um, and particularly around badges, I mean, you know, Tim, I believe you designed the badge canvas a thousand years ago. 
I think. Yeah, it was, it was a collaborative effort. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was a digital me badge yeah. canvas, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. yeah. And th that is, um, that's also not a blank piece of paper, right? It is a, you know, helping people to think through um, the description, the criteria, the skills, the objectives of the badge and think through the metadata in a way that has design constraints. Yeah. And for me, that's what, you know, that's what AI is doing. AI is helping us to put design constraints around a particular prompt. Um, and so for, you know, particularly for badging, because we can badge anything um, and because there's value in badging everything from social behaviors to you know some of the really typical things like course completion or particular kinds of skills having that those design constraints built into the system mm. seems like just a way to you know springboard to get past the the piece of badging that's hard for people which is the conceptual piece and into actually recognizing the skills that need to be recognized yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I do think it's worth reinforcing the point. I think it's, there is the need for human intervention as exactly. well. None yeah. of the badges that come back from the AI system have been absolutely complete. They've all needed tweaking, even to do with sort of language and Americanisms as well that need adjusting for the UK, you know, but also the criteria, obviously, the descriptions need building out. But it's a much easier, well, it's a nicer job to do, isn't it? When someone gives you a starting point and then you just start editing and, and honing that. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. So it's, it's um, how long has Navigator been going now? I know the AI stuff is is quite recent, but Navigator itself, you talked about you know, the different iterations and we haven't talked about cities of learning and stuff yet, but how long has Navigator been, been going now? 2019 and uh we launched the first prototype during the uh the second pandemic so that's what we, that's uh once every three platform launches we coincide with a with a pandemic don't make any more platforms tim um, <laughs> yeah, we've got two more in between you're okay but um in terms of like so in terms of what success looks like, I guess that's changed as your platforms, as you built new platforms and developed and your thinking's changed and stuff. But what does success look like for Navigator now? Are there things you can point to where you're like, this is this is definitely a case of where Navigator and the badges we've issued and the process we've been through has helped people, organizations, groups, whatever. Can you point to some of those? Yeah, I mean, just one really interesting case study at the moment, I think, is from um, the Manchester Group of Colleges, um, which is uh, the work is the work is sort of led by LTE in Manchester, and I think what they're doing is absolutely fascinating. It's it's a college, a group of colleges, that have gone out and spoken to employers, um, and they've gone out and designed. Um, digital badges which basically sort of map to the labour market. Um, so if you think of a college, the challenge for them is the labour market's moving really quickly. Um, you've got green skills coming in, digital skills, and the qualifications are just not matching up with the skills that they need to recognise. Um, so they've worked alongside, they've done this thing, there's a good example um, with uh, a drone surveying badge. Um, which is there's a huge demand for people who can fly drones and they can map buildings, apparently do it sort of 80% faster than uh, doing it in, in person. Um, so they've created this drone surveying badge 
um, and then it's endorsed by the local employer. Um, and then they've launched that now, and they're just about to uh, connect that with the live jobs feed. So I just think that's really interesting in terms of innovation because it, it's innovating the kind of qualification, really. And the qualification bodies will do qualifications around construction, but not around those specialised skills. So mm. that's a really exciting one, just in terms of innovation and disruption, I think, at the moment. Can I just pick apart a couple of things that you said there, then? So you mentioned the live jobs feed. I don't think we've talked about that. We talked about connecting badges and people with jobs, but what's the live jobs feed? Yeah, so the the live so the live jobs feed essentially connects the data, well it connects people to jobs that have badges. So if you have badges um, and you, you're following a badging pathway, like that drone surveyor pathway that I've just, just mentioned, then that will show you um, jobs that are in the local area, or you could look nationally uh, for those jobs opportunities as well. And um, just thinking actually sort of back slightly back to the earlier days of badging, I remember pitching it to a group of um, sort of people in the late 20s in, in Leeds and um, they they were interested in the concept of badges but what they really wanted to know is would it actually get them work you know because they didn't want to go back into um, formal education they wanted to uh, wanted to sort of help them start a job or help them get back into work and and I think this sort of meets that problem potentially so you get your credential um, you follow a pathway and then it will show you at the jobs feed and then you can get directly to a job opportunity locally hmm. and and just the other thing to kind of dive into um which i think is obvious for you and me and everyone on this call but maybe not for people listening is i think what you said that there's a construction qualification that they're all doing but this allows them to react to kind of specific labor market conditions around where they are in manchester or whatever and create badges which maybe differentiate them from other candidates? Yeah, so in this case, um, so in the case of these badges, it's 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 a bit of a mixture, but they are, um, it's not necessarily the additionality around the qualification. It's, um, if you, let's say you had some experience in construction, you could, but, you know, there, there was, um, maybe there weren't, weren't demands for your particular job in that in that area. This just allows you to reskill very, very quickly and get into another sector. Um or even if you're someone just entering the workforce as well, you could do this credential. So it's kind of, there's two things happening in parallel. One is which is the additionality and the pathways towards qualifications, as you say. And then the other is just actually almost alternatives to qualifications, um, which is just really fascinating, I think. I think it also, I mean, the drone example on a construction site is really interesting because um I think there the 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 mashup of varying interests in a person. Um, so somebody who's really good at tech uh, needs a needs a job flying a drone over a construction site. It's not something you would immediately go to if you're a technologist, for example, yeah. or you know the other way around. You know if you're quite interested in uh, building and actually that was the same way around but <laughs> if you're interested in tech but you're a builder and you you know want to expand your skills and and be able to have just a more diverse life experience um it sounds like being able to to kind of pick these different places and have it directly related to where you are in the world is actually a really it's interesting for, from a personal development perspective as well as you know getting a job perspective 
because so, nobody wants to be bored at work either. No, for sure. It's the overlaps, which is interesting. Yeah. I th- I feel like we're uh, we're gonna have to get um, Tim and Ahmed back onto the the podcast because. I've got lots more questions and other things that I want to dive into, but um, we keep these episodes relatively short. So I think the last couple of questions may be um, to ask, and we can go in any order, but um, Ahmed, like what's next for Navigator in terms of features, ones you can tell us about anyway. Um, and also Tim, like for you, what's the, how do you see the future of learning and skills recognition like how is that evolving so far and where where do you feel like it's going next who wants to go first yeah i can can go first and um, yeah so um uh, for for navigator the, the way that um, the uh, the way that i see it is navigator is can be the go-to destination for uh, for any person who is looking for a uh, who is looking to change their lives, either to get into a job, or, or to a course, or just improve their well-being. It has the potential to do that. And um, if you, um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, with the skills, skills is the common thread that goes through all of the, the journey of a person starting um, their journey into into a job and all the way to uh, progressing in, into different jobs and uh, and the, the, the tools that we have we talk, we talk about the badges pathways linked to job feed they all are things that connect together and we are working on uh, on, on a recommendation engine that will uh, that will take uh, uh, that will bring a, a, a big level of uh, a huge level of personalization to that whole journey. Uh, uh, um, end to beginning, uh, beginning to end, and uh, so that is that is the next uh, the, uh, that's the uh, next uh, set of features that we are working on, and the end goal we want to get to is so we can we have technologies that tell us what to buy next or what to watch next. Why can't we have the technologies that tell us what that um, tell us what to learn next mm. to change our lives? That's so, exciting. That's very yeah. exciting. Tim? Yeah, I suppose the vision for Navigator is it'd be it'd be great if you could just kind of switch the app on wherever you were. And like you were saying, Laura, before, you know, if you, if you could find something, feed a little bit of data into it or or have data which was connected from other apps, from LinkedIn, from your social profiles, and it could start to show you things which just got you interested first and got you engaged in learning and then started to open up opportunities for work. Because you're right, you you know, it, we don't want to just start with the, just have the work angle. You know, you want to do work that sort of satisfies you and is um, aligned with your values and just wants you to get out of bed in the morning and, and gets you motivated and gets you going. Um, in terms of where next for the platform, um, the ideas are always further ahead than the tech, aren't they? But the we We'd like to um, apply more AI to the the profile and to a kind of career coach idea. So it's something that's always around to sort of help you make connections between some of your skills and interests and, you know, careers you just might not have even dreamt of going or or thought of going for. Um, Sort of looking forward, um, I'm quite interested in this idea of closing the gap between skills and work. What I mean by that is just, um, let's say, uh, I saw a sort of prototype of an approach like this that 
a Mozilla festival once. Um, but let's say you went onto GitHub um, and you're able to sort of log in somehow with your badges and your credentials and just you, you are qualified for the work immediately. So you don't have to go through an interview process. You kind of just take the bias out completely and you can actually just do the job. So you just log in, you've got your credentials, you can do the work. And then perhaps one step forward from that would be able to sort of get paid maybe through a kind of interledger type model. So you can actually actually get paid for the work directly or via that credential or linked in with another payment method. Um, and then I'm also interested in sort of personalization as well of the web. So as you travel around the web, you know, let's say you're interested in music production and you landed on Amazon and you were able to see things that were related to that, or you were able to connect with other people based on on your skills as well and your interests. So I don't know, lots of lots of ideas and potential um, um, for the future, I think. Well, I can tell that uh, both of you are full of ideas, so I'm not at all surprised that this is either the sixth or the eighth uh, software uh, platform uh, endeavor that you two have gone on together. Um, really interesting conversation. I think Doug's right. Um, lots more questions. Um, but for now, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And um, I think when you come back on, which we'd love to to get you in maybe, maybe next year, um, in 2024, we could talk about verifiable credentials because um, some of the stuff you were talking about there, Tim, sounds like very much the kind of realm of, of VCs, not the kind of people who, who give you money, but the ones that yeah. are to do stuff. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, and thanks again. It's good. Uh, it's a good conversation. It's good to see you again, Doug and Laura. That's great. Likewise. Cheers, Ahmed. Cheers, Tim. Thank you.